We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk again about one thing that distinguishes conservatives from all others. True conservatives should be open to a good, robust debate, a good argument, a good exchange of ideas, a discussion of the pros and cons. And yes, we should be willing to do that even when it comes to, get ready for it, Donald Trump. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to the show. Thanks for listening into The Rebellion. I'm very grateful for all of you who do. Now, I want you to buckle up. Today's topic is one that I know some of you are going to feel uncomfortable with. You're going to disagree with some of the things I say, but I want to challenge you before we even get into this. That's okay. That's good. That's what conservatives do. We have confidence in the truth judging the debate. We don't silence our opponents by shunning them and shaming them. We are not proponents, advocates of, cancel culture. In fact, we recognize that cancel culture is the antithesis of what it means to be a conservative. Conservatives recognize that the time-tested truths of history, the revelation of God ultimately, serve as the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, and therefore we can engage in a good argument, a good debate. We can exchange ideas. We can present the pros and cons of various different arguments, and yes, even different candidates politically. We can do that because we recognize that emotions don't trump the facts, that we can look for truth as the measuring rod of this debate, of this argument, of this exchange of ideas, and trust that as the referee to blow the whistle on the game. That's the definition of what it means to be a conservative in terms of the way we engage in conversation, the way we enter into the market square of ideas, the way we get involved politically or theologically or logically or educationally or basically the way we live our lives. Now, I knew when I wrote my column this past week for the Washington Times that I would suffer for it. I knew that when I actually went on this show last week and dared to suggest that Donald Trump was a negative rather than a positive in this last midterm election season, that I would lose friends. In fact, I jokingly said on one of my social media platforms, let the unfriending begin. I, I want to encourage you. Trust those around you that you have trusted for years Trust them enough to allow them to make you uncomfortable at times. Don't scream heretic every time somebody brings up an uncomfortable idea. Don't silence them. Don't cancel them like the left does. I mean, don't lower yourself to the progressive level of just putting your hands over your ears or your fingers in your ears and like a 
little child used to do when he didn't like something that his mom or his friend or someone else was telling him, and just silence the vo- the voice, the unwelcome voice, by saying, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to you. Don't do that. The left does that. Progressives do that. The woke do that. These adolescents that are crying for safe spaces, they don't like a, conf- a conflicting idea, a contrary idea. They don't like it. They want to silence it. They want to cancel it. It makes them feel uncomfortable. You're above that. We are above that. We should be able to have a discussion, even a discussion about Donald Trump. His strengths, yes, and he had many. I'm grateful for them. I've told you about them on this show. I'm thankful that Donald Trump was our president. I voted for him twice. Now, I've been critical of him in the past, and I'm critical of him now. I've been critical of our governor, Kevin Stitt, in the past. I'll probably be critical of him in the future. But I'm thankful that he got elected. I worked very hard for his election. I don't know if I had anything to do with a vote or two or not, but I know this. I tried to rally you all to support him. And I'm very thankful that in God's providence and as the result of your hard work, he won by some 13 points here in Oklahoma when many polls were showing that he could lose to Joy Hoffmeister. I'm thankful for the accomplishments that Donald Trump uh, chalked up while he was in office and his administration. But that doesn't mean that I'm a thoughtless lemming who's just going to go along without ever saying, hey, wait a second here. I think we're on the wrong track right now. Okay, so after we take a break, I'm going to repeat what I said last week with regard to my concerns over Donald Trump being the standard bearer right now. Now, don't turn me off. Please don't turn me off, because if you do, you're doing exactly what I would argue. What I would argue our opponents do, the progressives do, the woke the self-righteous, the smug, those people that don't want to learn, don't want to debate, don't want to argue because they're afraid. And they want to put their fingers in their ears like a 10-year-old and say, no, 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 I don't want to hear you. No, we're better than that. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll give you a brief overview of what I said last week, what I wrote in the Washington Times as a result of my commentary here on this show. And then we'll just discuss where we stand right now as a conservative movement and what we should be doing if we want to continue to move forward and what the risks are if we continue to look backward. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. 
Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, um... Before I even give you my commentary, I want you to hear a response from a person on Facebook with regard to this post, this commentary, this article that I wrote for the Washington Times, which is very similar to what I said last Friday at the end of the week on this show. But before I refresh your memory on what I said, I want you to hear what a person said to me on Facebook. Okay, when I posted this article that I'm going to share with you right now, her immediate response was, you are now part of the problem. I had the wrong idea about you for a long time. Bye. I'm going to repeat this. This is a woman by the name of Cindy who was on my Facebook page. As soon as I posted this article, this commentary, what I'm going to share with you right now, she said this, you are now part of the problem. I had the wrong idea about you for a long time. Bye. Now, that bothers me, obviously. You may say, big surprise, she's criticizing you. Get a thicker skin, Piper. Well, uh, I would argue that's not the point. I have a pretty thick skin. I get criticized all the time on Facebook or Twitter or Parler or Gab or Gitter. I mean, when you put yourself out there as a writer or as a speaker or a commentator, you're going to get criticized. I know that. That's not the point. But the nature of the criticism bothers me, and I hope it bothers you. It should. If you're a true conservative, this should bother you greatly. Because I posted something that said it's time for the GOP to say what seems to be very true. Donald Trump is hurting us more than helping us. It's time for us to have that discussion. Because I said that, she said, you're now part of the problem. I had the wrong idea about you. Bye. Now, if speaking openly, I want you to hear me on this, if speaking openly and inviting others to debate the pros and cons of a given candidate, whether it be Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Kevin Stitt, or anybody else for that matter, I don't care. And we can't put Donald Trump in a different category than anybody else. You or me, your pastor, your mayor, your city councilman, your county commissioner, your senator, your congressman, it doesn't matter. You can't put your president, Donald Trump, in a different category than anybody else. And if speaking openly and inviting others to debate the pros and cons of your candidate or your opinion, your perspective, if that makes you part of the problem, then the GOP is in trouble. And I would argue big time or bigly, as Donald Trump would say, requiring thoughtless, unquestioning loyalty is the behavior of a cult. It's not that of a rational and thoughtful conservative. You hear me on that? I mean, true conservatives debate and discuss. Cultists shame and shun. And we have to be willing to debate and discuss. 
That's the way we come to better conclusions. That's the way we pursue the truth. That's we al- that's the way we allow the truth with the capital T to blow the whistle on the game. You don't shame and shun people because they say something that makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't say, well, I had the wrong idea about you, bye. No, that's not a conservative. That's not thoughtful conservatism. Now, let's get back to my commentary from last week. I suggested that it's time for the GOP to say it. Donald Trump is hurting, not helping us. Now, if you disagree with that statement, you shouldn't say, bye. Especially if you've been listening to me for a while, I hope I've earned a little bit of credibility that I'm not some sort of progressive plant. Uh, So, trust the fact that your friends around you who have demonstrated over and over and over again that you're on the same team, trust the fact that they have your back and they've worked hard in the trenches with you. And if they're questioning one thing that seems to be apparent at the time, at least to them, listen to them. If you disagree, then fine, say it, disagree rationally. But listen to their argument and attend to their argument. Don't engage in TDS on the conservative side of the fence. I mean, the liberals are crazy. Every time you bring up Trump and the positive things that he did, well, Donald Trump did this, did that. And they don't even attend to the positive things that he accomplished. The economy, employment, bringing more blacks into the party, Hispanics into the party, black employment, Hispanic employment, fighting human trafficking, Never had a war or conflict under his charge. I mean, I'm grateful for all of these things. Religious freedom, he honored our religious freedom, gave us more of it rather than less of it. Well, he didn't give us anything because these are things that were endowed to us by our creator, but he he protected it. He served as the guard at the gate, or at least he allowed his administration to. So I'm grateful for all of those things, and I'm not ignoring any of those things, but I'll still say this. These midterms, These midterms have taught us something, and I would argue there are three key takeaways from Tuesday's election. And here they are. Number one, conservatism still wins. I mean, look at DeSantis, 20 points. Look at Stitt, 13 points. Look at Greg Abbott in Texas. I don't know how many points, but he won handily. Conservatives win. Conservatism wins. Lesson number two, Trumpism doesn't. Oh, you say, oh, Piper, there you go. Stop. Just listen to my argument. And and number three, the third thing we should have learned from last Tuesday is if we don't learn the lessons of number one and two and learn them quickly, the GOP will get destroyed in 2024. Now, that's my argument. So number one, conservatism still wins. I think DeSantis in Florida is the poster child of that. If you want to say, sit here and... Oklahoma or Abbott in Texas, then fine. Not worshiping DeSantis or Abbott or Stitt. That's not the point at all. What I'm saying is people that stood for conservative principles, stood by the Constitution, people that didn't lock down their states, make you wear a mask, make you get injections, people that recognize that our schools are crazy and they need to be corrected and start teaching truth rather than elevating opinions and emotions. General conservatism wins. 
Trumpism didn't on Tuesday. And there are a number of states where you could, I mean, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia. I mean, the Trump-endorsed candidates lost. And we have to ask ourselves a serious question. Why? And if we don't learn the lessons of the midterm elections, we're going to get destroyed in 2024. So, again, before you accuse me of treason, and I want you to take a deep breath. Calm down. It's all good, okay? <laughs> it's all okay. Republicans, good conservatives, should be willing to listen to the message before you shoot the messenger. Like I just hinted at earlier, don't succumb to the conservative variant of TDS. It causes these inexplicable babblings of, yeah, but Trump... Just consider the following argument that I'm going to make. Okay? First, the good news is principled conservatives won big on Tuesday. And again, my two examples here that I'll cite would be Florida and Oklahoma, where strong conservative governors fended off highly funded challenges from former moderate Republicans. So this is not an argument for moderate Republicans, which is what some people say as soon as you say anything negative about Trump. Oh, you're just one of the establishment Republicans. Stop it. Just stop. That's not the case. This is not a moderate Republican argument. In fact, I'm criticizing moderate Republicans. These these unprincipled people who proved to us that they were Democrats all along, like Joy Hoffmeister or Charlie Crist in Florida. In, in both Florida and Oklahoma, Liberals spent tens of millions of dollars to convince voters that the pro-life, pro-gun, pro-child, pro-freedom, pro-common sense, pro-American principles of Ron DeSantis and Kevin Stitt were just too extreme. And what was the result? I mean, we got outspent huge, by huge amounts in Oklahoma by Joy Hoffmeister. And what was the result? What was re- the result of these conservative stances in Florida and Oklahoma. Well, in Florida, DeSantis trounced the soulless Charlie Crist by 19.4 percentage points, nearly 20 points. And in Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt notched a 13-point victory over the power-hungry charlatan named Joy Hoffmeister. So here's the point. What do these two races teach us? Conservatism wins and wins big when competent, uncompromising leaders carry its banner. Are these leaders perfect? No. Yeah, but DeSantis did this, or Stitt did that. I've criticized Stitt, uncomfortably so at times. Some of you are probably mad at me for doing so. I don't apologize for it. Conservatives have thick skin, we're big boys, and we can argue with one another and still come out good in the end. And still champion somebody that we may have differed with on a given decision, or policy. It's incremental gain. It's not all or nothing. So the good news is conservatives won. Stitt, Abbott, DeSantis. So what's the bad news? Well, I shared with you some of what Richard Vigory said. He's a conservative icon. He's been around for nearly 100 years, literally. He's in his late 80s. Very sharp member of the Council for National Policy. I know Richard personally. 
He wrote this on November 10th, two days after the election. If you feel that Republicans did not have a bad night on November 8th, let me remind you, the GOP had the most favorable political environment ever. And then he goes through the data. 80% of Americans say America is on the wrong track. 58% do not support President Biden. 62% do not support Vice President Harris. Democrats have caused the highest inflation in 40 years. Americans said inflation was their number one issue in this election. Democrat policies have led to sky-high gas and fuel prices. Democrats persist in doubling down in their war on fossil fuels. Democrats continue their anti-police rhetoric. Democrat efforts to defund the police have contributed to rampant crime and murder on epidemic, at epidemic levels. Democrat open border policies have led to 100,000-plus fentanyl drug deaths in 2021. Since Joe Biden became president, at least 5 million illegal aliens have flooded across our borders. Democrats no longer try to even hide the extremism that they hold on abortion, abortion on demand, for any reason up until the moment of birth. Democrats now require taxpayers to pay for these abortions. Biden's abrupt withdrawal from Afghanistan led to the worst foreign policy defeat in American history. Our enemies in Russia, Iraq, and China laugh at us because we have a weak, ineffective, and mentally challenged president. This is Vigory. He's citing these things, the realities of our current political environment. And then he concludes by saying this. This is Vigory again. So with the best, with the best political environment ever, let me say that again, with the best political environment ever, we have a squeaker of an election. How do we expect to have big victories in the future and govern America at the national, state, and local levels with our present ineffective leaders? Close quote, Richard Vigory. Now, this is my language now, not Vigory's. Who's the poster child of this ineffective leadership? We should ask that question. Who is the poster child? I don't think we can exonerate our chief endorser, if you will, of Tuesday night's major losses in places such as Pennsylvania, Michigan, New York, Arizona, and likely Georgia in the runoffs. We can't just exonerate the guy who's carrying the banner, the bearer of our party the face of our party, the leader of our party. If you're going to criticize ineffective leadership, you've got to go all the way to the top. As Harry, Harry Truman admitted, the buck stops here. Stop and think about it. The bottom line, I would argue, is this. If we can't usher in a red wave with the political landscape that Vigory described, we've got to be honest with ourselves and ask if the man who's arguably, arguably, the leader of our party, the standard bearer, arguably the guy, and this, this is going to make you uncomfortable, but why do we have a Democrat-controlled Senate right now, before the election, before last Tuesday? Why was the Senate in the hands of the Democrats? Think back to 2020. Do you remember this? The guy... I would argue, is at least somewhat, if not greatly, responsible for giving us a Democrat-controlled Senate that started in 2020, is now doing the same thing again. 
remember back with me. By nearly all accounts, the incumbents, Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, should have defeated John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock in 2020. A lot of the pundits, both left and right, were saying there was no way that the Republicans were going to lose both of those incumbent seats. I remember it in our house very clearly. We felt confident because of what the pundits were saying and what logic told us. There's no way in a conservative state such as Georgia that leans right that had two incumbent senators. In other words, the people of Georgia had already elected them. There's no way that they were going to get beat by these radical leftists. Almost all of the pundits, right and left, were saying that the odds of both of these sitting Republican senators being defeated were slim to none. So how did Georgians end up with two of the most extreme leftists in all of the U.S. Senate? The answer is found in two words. Now, I'm going to argue those two words are Donald Trump. As the direction of our country hung in the balance back in 2020, millions of us watched, myself, my wife, in horror as Mr. Trump decided to draw attention to himself during those days of the runoff. So he kept drawing attention to himself rather than throwing every bit of influence that he still had into winning these two Senate seats. He drew attention to himself. And the result was a Democrat victory because many conservative Georgians stayed home during those runoffs because they were convinced by our president that their votes wouldn't matter. The lesson of this midterm is pretty simple in my view. Donald's, Donald Trump's endorsements hindered rather than helped the much-anticipated red wave. And his pettiness could likely lead to another series of runoff losses in the days ahead. I mean, as I speak right now, uh, some of the things that I thought on Friday were going to be a runoff aren't even. We've already lost them. Nevada, we've lost it. Arizona, we've lost it. It's not even going to go to a runoff. And now Herschel Walker is in a runoff. Uh, Pennsylvania, Oz Guinness, uh, Oz Guinness, um, Dr. Oz, excuse me. Dr. Oz lost by four points. He got destroyed by a man who can't put two sentences together, literally. Fetterman can't communicate. He has brain damage, and I'm not being cruel. That's just a fact. And a medical doctor who is an excellent communicator, he's made his life Communicating on TV couldn't beat a guy who can't communicate because he has brain damage. You've got to ask yourself, why? Is part of it Oz's fault? Yes. But you cannot detach yourself from the reality that Trump endorsed the loser in Michigan. Trump endorsed the loser in Pennsylvania. Trump endorsed the loser in Arizona. Trump endorsed the loser in Nevada. Trump endorsed the person who can't defeat, at least not yet, one of the most radical senators in the U.S. Senate, Raphael Warnock. You have to ask yourself a question, why? I'm grateful for many of the things that Donald Trump accomplished. I do not diminish those at all.
I don't mock him. I don't belittle him. I honor the fact that he was elected as president of the United States. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be a thoughtless lemming who follows the piper mindlessly over the cliffs, mesmerized by a tune of a cult. Cultists shame and shun. They will not tolerate dissent. If anybody speaks against the dear leader, they want to excommunicate them. Conservatives debate and discuss. I would argue that the take-home of this past week and its elections is pretty simple. If Donald Trump is our nominee in 2024, we will get destroyed. We're too divided. There are too many people who simply will not vote for anything on the Republican side of the fence if it's still associated with Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis, not the case. He won by 20 points in a state that was leaning blue just five minutes ago in terms of political history. And there are other strong candidates, too, in addition to DeSantis. So the lesson for today is conservatives are willing to discuss these things and have a good, robust debate during an upcoming presidential primary season. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.